Well, last week we talked about um, the pathway of peace, and we saw over in uh, uh, the book of Philippians where Paul wrote to them about three choices they needed to make. And I think there are three choices that we have to make as well, that we have to choose or they had to choose a path of rejoicing, a path of gentleness, and a path of prayerfulness. And when we do that, then we find the peace of God is released into our lives and we're able to do the things that he has for us and live the life he has for us. Now we turn to uh, the very beginning of the Bible. Think back to the beginning of the Bible. What do you know about the beginning of the Bible? Well, you know a lot probably. It's God in the beginning, God created. And then God created over seven, uh, six days uh, people and animals and the creation and all those things. And at the end of it all, do you remember what God said about his creation? He said it was what? It's good. Hallelujah, somebody said. That's a good answer. That is a good thing. It's a good thing that he created that. But then humanity steps into being humanity and makes some poor choices. As you know the story, uh, everything started with God creating the world, and he made Adam and Eve at the very end of his work. But there were limits, if you remember the story. The limits, he said, there's some things you just can't do. And one of those was to touch that fruit in the center of the garden, uh, a forbidden fruit. And in that process, I think the old enemy, Satan himself, says, hey, I'm going to use that to try to trip up humanity. And you know the story, how it turned out for us. We all made some mistakes along the way, right, the beginning? And there was a lot of mess in the beginning, and there was sin. I want us to look today not at that story, but at the aftermath of that story. Because in the aftermath of the story, I want you to find something that is just absolutely amazing. That what God did for us from the very beginning. We begin with verse 14. Just listen along. I believe the, the words may or may not be on the screen. just depends on what Donna's doing up there. So thank you, Donna. We talked about whether to do it or not this morning. That's why I wasn't certain. All right. Verse 14 says this, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, done what? Tempted humanity and caused this problem to happen. He said, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you will go and dust you will eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain, you will bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband and he will rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you will eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it will bring forth for you and you will eat the plant's of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you were dust, and to dust you shall return. Father God, I pray that as we look at this story, Father, one that has a, a major impact on this season that we're in. Father, we look at that story and we think, what does the fall of man have to do with the coming of Jesus? And God, my thought would be this it has everything to do with it. Because Jesus came to redeem those who would ask forgiveness of sin. The sin that humanity dove headfirst in almost from day one that we needed forgiveness for. 
Father, I pray that you'd show us what we need to see in this passage. Help us to understand the theological truths that are here. Father, let it speak into our souls and encourage us to be followers of yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to look at the three different addresses Jesus makes before we come back and see the promise that's here. First of all, we're going to talk about snakes. How many of you like snakes? Oh, yeah, everybody goes, ooh, I love snakes. They're just so much fun. Yeah, right. Uh, my daughter, oldest daughter, when she was in high school, she would try to run cross country, and, uh, and she has daddy daddy speed, uh, which is really really slow. But you get a snake out on the property, all of a sudden, she can move. Snakes, nobody likes, right? I mean, just the weird people like snakes. Most of us don't like snakes. But look what God said to the serpent right in the beginning of this passage, verse fourteen. He says, "Because you've done this, you're cursed." Now, have you ever stopped to think? What a serpent looked like before the fall. You know, the Bible doesn't tell us, so we can imagine, but we won't know. But here's what happened. God says, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. That kind of leads me to think, well, maybe it had legs at one time. Maybe it stood upright at one time. Maybe it was a majestic creature at one time. Something you look at and go, wow, that's beautiful. Like a monarch butterfly coming through your yard, you know? Something amazing. None of you ever thought that about a snake though, have you? We have no idea what the serpent looked like, but we can deduce from this is it didn't go on its belly before and it did not eat dust before and it wasn't cursed before. I believe it was created with beauty and an innate worth. It was not feared. It was not hated. Rather, it was a productive member of the created order. You're thinking, well, it's got a purpose today. It does, but I don't want one. Y'all with me? I don't want one in my backyard. But something happened in this moment. I don't know if the animal itself consented to be used by Satan or if Satan just took a possession of it and used it. We don't know. But what the outcome is pretty clear. God says, because you've done this, you're going to be cursed. Because you've done this, you're going to go like on your belly. You're going to eat dust. And you're going to be hated and feared and rejected and all these things. I don't understand how that all works. But a direct result of this action was an altering of a serpent that was no longer a magnificent beast but there's now something to be feared. And can you imagine if you were Adam and Eve standing there watching this happening, covered with your fig leaves? Wow. I remember when serpents were pretty. I remember when serpents were beautiful. I remember when serpents stood up. I remember when they were amazing. You're thinking to yourself, they're not anymore. That's because of this passage. God alters the serpent. Maybe we'll know in heaven one day what a serpent really looked like and we get to see the amazing beauty of it. But the reality is here's what happens. But as they're sitting there thinking to themselves, well, he's going to do that to the serpent. Are we next? What's going to happen to us? Well, they don't have to wait long because God turns to the woman. Did you see the passage? Look at verse 16. He said, I will do two things to you, woman, and women. And you're thinking, well, this isn't fair. Okay, the guys come next, so don't act like it's just a one-way deal here, okay? I mean, we all share into this in different ways. He speaks to the woman. He says, you're going to be burdened. Any of you ladies feel burdened? Nudge your husband if he's sitting by you and say, man, I'm burdened. Yeah, you with me? We have burdens, ladies, don't you? You have burdens. The first one was this. 
Childbirth was going to be painful. Now, I'm going to tell you, I am, praise God, grateful that I never had to deliver a baby. Y'all with me? But us modern men get to be in the room with the wives when they do it now. You know, back in the day, guys would sit out in the waiting room. You know what I'm saying? Now we get to go in there. and Now we get to experience it. Now we get to have our names called out in cursing. And 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 we get to be ordered to go get drugs. And we, we, we're, we're yelled at, okay? So I've watched it happen. And amazing, isn't it? But there's a burden there. Do you know up to this point... Before sin entered, childbirth was supposed to be easy, ladies. It wasn't supposed to be painful. It wasn't supposed to be difficult. Conceiving children wasn't supposed to be difficult. There are women who would love to have kids, and they struggle with that issue. And they, that, that's a problem that comes from the, the fall. And, and, and so all of this has come out of this. And yes, children are worth it in the end, but, but there's a, a, a burden now to having children. You could even look at the other side of that. But raising those kids can be a burden, can't it? Ladies, you know, sometimes you want to just go, can I send this one back? But they're worth it, aren't they? You love them. The second thing is that God says your desire would be contrary to your husband. Now, I, I, I don't, I'm going to be careful here, okay? But he says this very clearly. He says, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now, you're thinking, oh, he's one of those sexists who thinks women ought to be subservient to men. No, no. I, just stay with the Scripture, okay? Don't, don't shoot the messenger this morning. You know, in progressive cultures like ours, I believe we've forgotten how poorly women are treated on, in this world. And you're thinking, well, has he looked around here? Okay, but compared to most cultures in the world, guys, ladies, we've got it pretty good, don't you think? I mean, you're not you're not shoved in a corner somewhere and left, you know, just to sit in the back and never speak. How would you like to be a, a woman in an Islamic country where you have to cover yourself completely just to go out in public or to have a man escort you to go anywhere or in a sub-Saharan culture where you're just property, so as we have progressed, but much of the world, women are treated like property. In many countries, they have no rights. They're treated poorly. But where does that come from? From the fall. God says that's going to happen. There's going to be a struggle there. There's going to be a burden here. There's going to be a difficult here. But the impact of Christian faith is so often overlooked. You know, in our culture, we are struggling with and we're battling with this idea of are we going to be a Christian nation or are we going to be just a nation with Christians in it? And you start taking away the Christian foundation. Guess what happens to the rights of people? They don't get better. They get worse. The fall of humanity has had a dastardly effect on women. We need to be careful there. Women were burdened because of sin. Again, remember, this is a choice, an outcome of a choice made by an individual. And you're thinking, well, that wasn't me. But no, it did affect all of us. And ladies, before you think y'all have got it bad, let's turn to the guys real quickly here. Are you ready? Look at verse 17. And to Adam, he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife, And have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you will eat it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles thistles it will bring forth for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, 
For you are dust, and to dust you will return. As harsh as as I think the consequence for Eve was, and it is, I suspect the harsher judgment was preserved for the men here. Why? God created Adam first. And out of Adam's rib, he created woman. And man was created in the image of God. And because of the fall... Because of his choice, and by the way, it was a conscious choice he made, a decision he made to listen and to eat and to sin. He said, you will have your life confounded. God's desire for man was what? He created us for fellowship. He created us for intimate fellowship with himself. He said, I want to have a relationship with you. I don't want to walk with you. But sin did what? Do you remember? Sin broke that relationship. No longer do we have that intimacy with God automatically because of our fall. In nature, we struggle with this every single day. Ladies, it affects you too. It affects men. It affects all of us. But the choice made by Adam to join Eve in her pathway, and make no mistake, it was a conscious decision. In fact, one commentator, scholar I was reading, he said the, the, the Hebrew there almost carries an idolatrous relationship between Adam and Eve, that he looked to her and, and almost worshipped her instead of who? Instead of God. So what were the outcomes of it? There were three for men. First, the ground would be cursed. You know, up until that moment, growing crops was really easy. Living was easy. Things were taken care of. I suspect Adam didn't have to put a lot of effort into the process. God had told him to what? Take care of the earth, to to, to be fruitful, to multiply. In in an instant, this changed. And in that moment, life no longer was going to be easy. Work was not going to be easy. It was going to be a toil. It was going to be hard. It was going to be difficult. And in many ways, the earth itself switched from being an ally to being an adversary. I personally believe the entirety of creation was broken in that moment of sin. Not just us. It would take a lot of work to produce a life. Second, by his sweat, he would have to provide. Not only would the soil become an adversary, life itself would become a struggle. As a direct result of the introduction of sin, man would wrestle and struggle with and try to make ends meet and have to figure out how to make it all work. Guys, you think, I understand. You get up and go to work. Some days you go, I don't want to get up and work. You know, with me? Some days you don't want to deal with those people at work. Some days you don't want to deal with the job. Some days you don't want to deal with what you have to do. It's part of that is this fall that we face. Vocation would become a task instead of a blessing. And then the third outcome of it was this. And this one applies to all of us, but it was directed to the men. You're going to expire someday. We forget that in the creation, humanity was not going to die. Sin introduced into our lives brought about the future called death. Can you imagine never dying, living forever, to still have your grandparents, to have your great-grandparents, to have your great-great-grandparents, to have your great-great-great Y'all get the picture. They'd all be around still. You'd have these relationships, and that would be amazing, wouldn't it? But because of the fall, all of us have an expiration date. It's almost like it's printed on our back, and we don't get to see it. We don't know when it is, but it's coming. Humanity wasn't intended to die. Now, by the time you get to this point of these three judgments, I don't know about you, but it kind of becomes a little depressing. 
ladies struggle, men struggle, amazing animals have been transformed into ugly serpents. Come back to verse 15. You're probably thinking, he skipped verse 15. No, I didn't. I I, I held it to the end on purpose because I think this is where we find our God is gracious. Look at verse 15 again. He's speaking to the serpent, but he's really speaking to who in that story? He's speaking to Satan himself, okay? You need to grasp that thought. And he says to them, to him, I will put enmity between you and the woman, Satan, and between your offspring, that could literally be translated your seed, and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. Now you're going, okay, this passage right here, this one verse, theologically, y'all ready for some, here's your big word for the week. There's no test later. It's a freebie, okay, no charge. Proto-evangelium. You're going, what? Proto-evangelium. That's a Latin word that theologians have used for centuries to describe this one verse. So let's break down that word. You ready? Y'all are all English and Latin scholars. We can handle this. Are you ready? Proto means, a prototype means something you're making that's going to be the first. This is our first, this is our example. This is where it comes from. This is the first evangelium. The first good news. In this one verse, theologians have discussed and agreed over the years, this sums up the story of Jesus. Christmas season, why are we here today? Because we're dealing with this Christmas season, the story of Jesus and the work he did in our lives. He's going to do this. From day one, almost from day one, God promised this. He says, okay, Satan, here's what's coming. Because of your decision to tempt and for man's decision to fall, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring, your seed, wickedness, and her offspring, which speaks prospectively about Jesus coming. He's going to bruise your head and you're going to bruise his heel. Martin Luther said this, he said, This text embraces and comprehends within itself everything noble and glorious that is to be found anywhere in the Scriptures. The promise is there. He says, I'm going to bring about victory for you. Your offspring, your seed will be crushed, will be bruised because of the promised one. Charles Spurgeon said this, this is the first gospel sermon that was ever delivered upon the surface of the earth. It was a memorable discourse indeed with Jehovah himself for the preacher and the whole human race and the prince of darkness as the audience. It's called the Proto-Evangelium. It's the work of what he's doing. What God proclaims right here, listen, this is important because this is the promise that we found from very beginning in the story. God proclaims is simply the promise he will one day come when the seed of woman, Jesus, would crush the head of the serpent, Satan. You're going, well, that's the Easter story, isn't it? We're talking about the Christmas to the cross, entirety of the idea of the gospel itself. The victory would be accomplished at the cross. And though Satan on that day believed he had won, guess what happened? He found out three days later he had lost. And add to this, the victory of the empty tomb meant the war for the souls of people had already been won. 
but realize without the arrival of the promised Messiah as the baby born of a virgin, virgin, the victory wouldn't be possible. In this, we find the promise of redemption and forgiveness. What do you do with this? Kind of heavy theological thought for you this morning. What do you do with this? Three quick thoughts for you. Number one, every choice we make reveals our hearts. Every single one of them. The reason we do what we do in life, the reason you do what you do in life, the reason I do what we what I do in life, it's because of the nature that's in control of who we are. If, it's, if we choose godliness, if we choose purity, guess what's in charge of our lives? Is God's leading our lives. But if we choose wickedness and filth, we're showing the presence of rebellion in our lives. We're revealing who we are by what we do. As the writer of Proverbs would have phrased it, Many centuries later, he said this, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. We do what we do because of who leads us in life. And whenever we find ourselves acting out of vice, it's because there's a part of us that says, I really want to do that. In John's first epistle, he was writing to a church where there was a lot of strife, a lot of discord, a lot of struggle, a lot of problems. And and they're they're literally tearing themselves apart in the western part of what is today Turkey. And he sums up their situation this way. He says, by this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Here's how you know. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. What we do matters. Friends, a genuine follower of Jesus doesn't just live like the devil. We, don't, we can't do that. If you're really following Jesus, if you really have Christ in your heart, if you've really surrendered to him, there's no way you can go around not practicing righteousness. There's no way you can go around hating your brothers in Christ. Why? Because it's not possible for me to hate myself. If you're a follower of Jesus, I'm a follower of Jesus, then I have to love you. Why? Because to do so is to love myself, to love ourselves and to love God. We won't speak ill of each other. We won't speak to destroy, seek to destroy each other. And we won't do things that result in strife and discord among the beloved. The proof of our relationship with God is shown in our fruits. By our fruit, they will know us. Second, humanity, we made our own mess. We made our own mess. You say, well, I wasn't there. I have characteristics, physical characteristics that I picked up from my dad, from my granddad, from my great-grandparents. Y'all with me? So, you, ever, you ever pull out a picture of your, your great-granddad as a kid and you look at it and go, man, that looks like my brother, you know, or looks like my son. You're going, How, did you have any control over that? Absolutely not. That's just who we are. That's the same thing with this situation. We inherited this. We, there's a principle I think we forget, though, in the Bible, and it's this. It's the principle of sowing and reaping. And the basically here the idea is simply this. We reap in our lives what we've sown. We have sown as modern humans in the 21st century what Adam and Eve sowed so many centuries ago. We're still reaping that. It's not fair. No. But it is what it is. But we can make a decision where we are now to say this. I'm either going to sow good 
so I can reap good or I'm going to sow poorly and I'm going to gather in kind. Paul explained it to the church at Galatia this way. He said this, do not be deceived. God's not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also what? Reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Now we've already dealt with the topic a little bit this morning, but let's take a moment to go a little bit deeper. As humans, fallen because of the choices of our first parents, we're born with a what? A sin nature. I don't have to teach you how to sin. Do you know that? You don't have to be taught how to sin. I don't have to be taught how to sin. We come by it naturally, okay? You remember your, your kids, they started talking, you said, oh, they just said their first word, and then they said their second word, and you go, can they just stop? You know, because then they start saying things that you're going, what in the world? Where did they get that? Oh, it's your fault, honey. You know, I, they got it from us. They got it from their nature. We're people who are born with a sin nature. We will live with a sin nature. And if something doesn't change, we will die as a result of that sin nature. But because of the proto-evangelium, the the shouting from the very beginning of the Bible that God says, I'm going to bring victory to your life, we can have new life. I was studying this week and I just came across this realization that the gospel is not just the New Testament, my friends. The gospel is the Bible. The news, the good news is shouted from Genesis chapter 3 that God is going to bring victory for us. And then he comes as the form of a baby, born of a virgin. He lives a perfect life. He dies on a cross and then, praise God, he did what? Rose from the dead, claiming victory for us. The day is going to come on top of that that Satan's going to be crushed. There's going to become a day when the victory is going to be made reality in the end and understand redemption was not a second choice for God it was always his plan to redeem us I read one commentator he asked this question I thought it was a very good question he says which one's more important which one's of more value for perfection or redemption I thought it's been running through my head all week We tend to think perfection is pretty great, isn't it? But I'm here to tell you this morning, redemption is way better because that's what we all needed, right? We needed redemption because of our sin nature. We needed forgiveness. We needed to be redeemed. We needed to be right with God. We needed to be restored to a relationship with God. And that redemption brings us not perfection, but redemption that brings new life. And when Jesus comes into a life, he does what? He brings the new. He brings the old and pushes it aside. He brings the new and comes in. And so I want to ask you the question this morning, where are you sowing? What are you sowing to? What's your, what nature are you, is your good news? Is it good nature or bad nature? Is it a godly nature or a wicked nature? What's allowing, what are you allowing to run in your life? Because the one you feed is the one that's going to grow. And the one you starve is the one that will die. If we continue to feed the old wicked, the old nature, it will continue to grow and thrive. When you feed the good nature, God will do some good things. One more thought, and I'll be done. God offers this, a blessed deliverance. We're talking about Christmas and the cross. The third promise is, the first, third thought here is a promise we can receive. Regardless of what you've done, regardless of what you've not done, whether you've gone 
where you've gone or what you've not gone to, what you've acted and what you're not acted, God still offers what? A blessed deliverance. There is not one of us in this room, not one listening to the recording of this service at a later date, that cannot be forgiven of whatever sin you have. And we all have sin. So we all need forgiveness. I'm going to ask you, if you're here today and you've never taken that blessed step of following Jesus, you can. If you've never trusted Christ, you can. You go, how do I do that? What do I need? I need to join a church. No, that's, that's secondary. Oh, I need to get baptized. Actually, that's secondary as well. What do we have to do? We have to receive the offer. You know, on the 25th of this month, some of us are going to get up earlier than we do all year. Y'all with me? And we're going to have go into the living room and there's going to be all these boxes that we've spent hours trying to figure out what to get and how to wrap and all that stuff. Y'all with me? But until the person receives the gift, they don't get it. It's still in the box. That's God's offer of salvation, friends. It's there. He's offering it to us, but we have to receive it. He offers it to us to have forgiveness. And there's a promise, that, guys, there's, there's the day's going to be sorted out. It's all going to end one day. And it's found in Romans chapter 16. We find a promise that, that still stands to this day that's based back on Genesis 3, by the way. I think the author had Genesis 3 in mind when he wrote this. He said this, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The day's coming, my friends, when God's going to sort it all out. And the victory will be won. And the question isn't, will it happen? The question is, which side will you be on when it happens? Will you be following God? Or not? My hope for you is that you've trusted Christ. Not known about him, not joined a church, but trusted him in your heart. And if you have, praise God. But if you haven't, the offer stands today to give your heart to Jesus. What greater way to start off the Christmas season than with the new life and new birth and the gift of salvation. In a moment, we're going to have an invitation, and you say, well, what do I need to do? Walking up front doesn't change a bit. I'm going to tell you, what matters is your heart with God. And then you may want to proclaim it to the world in a safe place like this. But have you come to the place in your life where you trusted him? Where you said, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. Will you come into my heart? It's that simple. For many of us, it's we've allowed ourselves to get muddied by the trash of the world. And we need to say, God, forgive me of that. Well, let's go into this time of invitation. You respond as God leads you this morning. Father, we thank you so much for your love for us. We thank you for the forgiveness that you offer. We thank you for the promise, even found in Genesis 3, that you're going to bring victory over it all in the end. And we pray, God, that we would be on the side of the victor. We pray for those who need to respond in some way this morning. Father, maybe they need to trust you and publicly proclaim you as Savior this morning. Maybe they need to trust 
and commit their lives to a local congregation. Maybe they need to do other decisions. Maybe they just need to come and kneel on an altar and just do business with you and let others pray for them, not knowing what they're dealing with, but just praying for them. We pray your hand in these few moments to move as you see fit. In Jesus' name.